0: Hello, fellow do-gooders and friends. I'm your host, Karina Balizzi, an activist and cause marketer that's passionate about social impact and sustainability. Today, I invite you on a journey to discover one of the many applications of algae and how replacing a traditional petrochemical with an algae byproduct creates greener products that you use every day. It's an interesting, thoughtful journey that starts with one man's passion for algae and his wandering mind while we explore the greeting card aisle. Now, before I introduce our guest, if you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen. This will help us reach more people and spread more social good. And to amplify the collective good we are creating together, visit caremorebebetter.com. There you'll find an action page featuring social impact businesses and causes you can support. You can also keep the show ad-free by becoming a patron. Just visit caremorebebetter.com and click the donate button. Now, as we get started today, I have a question for you. Have you ever had a problem that you just felt compelled to solve? Today, we get to hear one such story. I'm joined by Scott Fulbright, co-founder and CEO of Living Inc., an ink company that harnesses the waste stream of algae producers to create a sustainable and even carbon-negative ink that can be used in screen printing, on paper, on textiles, greeting cards, and even integrated into durable materials like cell phone cases. Scott, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: I'd like you to start by telling us about your background, what landed you in the world of algae, and how you first stumbled on the idea of making ink out of algae.
1: Born and raised in Michigan, and Michigan has a lot of inland lakes, so spent a lot of time playing around in, in sailboats and pedal boats. And there's always algae, so I've always been exposed to the outdoors and nature and and plants and you know specifically algae. In college, I actually got a job, and we were studying why algae blooms would occur. In the spring, you go to the Gulf of Mexico. There's these huge algae blooms, so we were trying to understand basically how to stop those algae blooms from from occurring. As I was driving up from the field work in Florida. I kind of thought about the problem here is that algae are so productive. They grow so fast in these blooms out in the ocean, you know, can we harness that material for something good like biomaterials or advanced materials that we all can use. And so, you know, really in college is when I started to think about these ideas and then I went to grad school, you know, worked really hard in the laboratory writing, reading, just trying to think how can we make algae into like a tangible product that can really benefit the world. As you mentioned in your intro, You know, when I left the lab one day, I went to the grocery store to buy a greeting card for my grandma. And, you know, I was just sitting there and I just, you know, when I saw a greeting card, I said, it's paper and ink, you know, and then that's when the wheel started to turn of, you know, what is ink? And I'd already seen that there was really beautiful algae out in the world. And so that's when these kind of connecting the dots of, hey, can we turn beautiful algae into Different colors uh, for ink. And so that's kind of the roundabout way I got going down the path. And here we are seven years later with, with real tangible product and customers.
0: Now, question for you. I mean, when you think about ink, ink is often made of petrochemicals, right? So is that the source of most of the carbon black ink that we're used to seeing?
1: Yeah. So if you, if you look around your office or your home right now, your computer monitor, if that's black or ink and anything that's black, rubber, you know, what makes rubber black is carbon black. It's a little tiny chunk of carbon basically made by burning petroleum. So I think of big factories that just have this input pipe of petroleum. It's just burned. And that's how we get carbon black. And then you can put it into all these different applications. So it's all from petroleum. Um, There's really no other alternatives. And so there's a large carbon footprint there. And that's kind of what we're replacing uh, in both ink and other applications.
0: So in my office, I'm looking at my black microphone and my black (laughs) painted microphone stand and my black monitor and my black Monitor stand. I the mean headphones. the headphones, headphones are black. <laughs> you know, your glasses look like they're black.
1: Exactly.
0: <laughs> the the Jeez. ink that I'm writing out of my pen with. I mean, literally yeah. all of these things are petrochemicals.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's kind yeah, of crazy. It's the, the plastic, the color. And you know, I think I was in grad school and I started to get really kind of interested. And I just started to look around the world and I just started to ask, like, where does everything come from? Like Every day, think about how many things we're exposed to. Like, I woke up, I brushed my teeth. So I took the toothpaste, I put it on the plastic bristles that was on the plastic handle. Like, I became kind of obsessed with just thinking about where everything came from. And then I also was kind of obsessed with algae. And so I said, how can we make something that is scalable, that's cost effective, that, you know, that can start to replace some of these? Because, you know, my take is people will say, is this the future? And, you know, my answer is it has to be because, like, we know that petroleum is a finite material. We know that we will run out at some point. You no, know, maybe it's in our lifetime. Maybe it's, you know, a couple of generations away. But at some point, we need alternatives to basically every material that's on my desk right now, from my plastic bottle to my mouse to the black and my headphones.
0: <laughs> that's crazy. Okay. So I was listening to a newer podcast just yesterday called SmartLess. And it's got Jason Bateman and a couple of other people that are hosting. a Will Arnett, I think, is one of the guests. And they had Neil deGrasse Tyson on. Neil deGrasse Tyson basically made the point that if your mind isn't blown every week, you're doing something wrong. So when I heard you tell me that Carbon ink was basically in everything from my cell phone case to my headphones, I had that mind-blown moment. I thought about it a little bit more. I thought about petrochemicals. I thought about all of the pieces of my car that are made from plastic, that are made from petrochemicals, that include that carbon black. I also thought about the fact that most of the oil on this planet was actually once algae. Mm -hmm. And so it's like this full circle problem that we're kind of talking about. Let's talk for a moment about how you get ink out of the algae, because I think consumers listening to this might be thinking, heck, you know, I've seen red algae, I've seen green algae, I've heard about these red algae blooms off the coast that are killing fish populations and things like that. So what exactly is it? And how do you turn it into ink?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's a great question. And something that we're working on every day. But, you know, really at our company, Living, Inc., there's really two major projects. One is developing these colors. So we can develop, you know, using molecular biology techniques or just going out into nature, finding, like you said, red algae that that exists or going to a hot spring here in Colorado and seeing, you know, I've seen yellow hot springs algae. So, you know, you can start to kind of extract that from nature and start to kind of, you know, domesticate it and use it for your own good. We've got this project looking at colors. We've also got the second project is doing this kind of bio-based black. So replacing all the black and ink, like you said, or headphones and things like that. And really the core of what we're doing is we're we're still using a lot of similar materials that are out there, but what we're replacing, and I think we're one of the few companies doing this in the world is actually trying to make a bio-based pigment. We've developed a purple strain of algae in our laboratory we can put it into a kind of a basic ink formulation and print it. And when you look at that print, what you're looking at is literally just algae cells. So it the algae kind of like build up these different colors inside of them, and we actually use that algae as like a pigment. Traditionally, that purple pigment would be synthesized or, you know, made from petroleum. So, you know, we're really replacing all of the pigments, both black and, and colors is kind of the big goal of the company. So using the entire algae and, you know, just to talk about why algae, Algae is great because nature's already made these really physically small organisms. So if people don't know algae, it's basically like an aquatic plant, but they're really tiny as you know, Karina, because you've worked <laughs> in that industry, yeah. but in some ways it kind of makes it difficult to work with. But when we started to look at this green algae powder or purple algae powder, we said like, this is, these are like really nice pigments. They're really colorful. They're really already small to work with. And we can kind of put that into these ink formulations compared to, let's say like a uh, a plant, which has like a red leaf, like that's a big red leaf. And you know, how do you have to extract things? You got to break it down. So algae are nice because they're really small and they're diverse. There's a lot of colors out there. So those are, those are some of the reasons why we love, love algae.
0: Now you spoke about algae as a living organism. I mean, it's a living plant, single cell. That's some microalgae that we're talking about here. I mean, heck, um, seaweed and larger algae are referred to as macroalgae. Algae as a group of organisms are responsible for what, more than half of the oxygen that we breathe every day?
1: Yeah. So I would say take a deep breath and then that's algae out in the ocean and things like that that are allowing us to actually breathe that oxygen. So it's it's amazing when you think about it.
0: So when I looked at how you first got your company name, Living Inc., I think it probably is a reflection of that first project or an early project you did where you actually built a greeting card that looked Plain when you opened it and then an image appeared.
1: Yeah. Can you yep. talk yep. about yep. that?
0: I mean, I know <laughs> yeah, exactly. this may not be commercially available, but it's just really kind of incredible.
1: You know, we were calling it kind of like similar to like a chia pet, you know, remember like a chia pet that would actually grow like over time. Like it was like a little ceramic thing. You could put little seeds on it and it grow. And basically what we were doing is like using algae as kind of like a little micro garden. So what we could do is we call it like a greenhouse, but we could send you a card. And on day one, it would say maybe happy birthday. You'd put it either underneath a lamp or on, you know, by a window with sunlight. And on day two, a cake would show up and day three candles on the cake would show up. And then day four, it'd say, you know, happy birthday from Scott. So we could actually kind of control that messaging by using these little tiny, again, little algae cells And the whole idea there was that we would dilute them down so that you couldn't really see them with your eye because they're so small, but algae grow so fast that you give them 24 hours of light and they start to multiply. And then all of a sudden you start to see that the algae growing, and that's what would kind of communicate the message. So. Really fun project to get going and I think really kind of connected some people with this creativity and kind of combining science and innovation into kind of a tangible product that they could see. So it was super fun and complex at the same time.
0: (laughs) Well, I think that was another mind blown moment for me because I was thinking about algae from what I knew about it and thinking, how does the algae survive on the paper without water or whatever to keep it going? And I really didn't have an answer for that. So, I mean, the fact that you're able to do this, even with just a simple little project, is quite interesting. How did you do that?
1: We had this little greenhouse that we'd we'd put it in. So the paper would be sitting there with a little bit of moisture because you're right, algae needs moisture. But we were also looking at ways to kind of micro-encapsulate the algae so that you'd keep them like in a little sphere so you could keep them alive over time, but they would still continue to grow and get denser and show more color. So... That was part of kind of the technology that we were developing. And, you know, we really took that through, we did a crowdfunding campaign and, you know, we took it through kind of product development. The whole time we were learning like what to do and what not to do. One, when you start a company and two, develop a product. One of the things that really kind of drove us to doing what we're doing now is like we wanted to really like get into like the commodity chemical space because that's where we know like there's there's an impact there. So, you know, we still have kind of fun plans to do these kind of growing ink projects and things like that. But first we're kind of like, trying to really make an impact on some of these kind of petrochemical industries that 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 you brought up early on.
0: Yeah. So I know you've probably done way more research around inks and carbon black and usage in that um, particular marketplace than I ever will. Um, <laughs> so I'm just curious if you have some like top line statistics for us, like how much ink is used every day or every month, and how much are you able to replace at the current time with your production with an algae-sourced, more sustainable, even carbon-negative product?
1: About 9 billion pounds of ink is produced worldwide. And that can be anything from screen printing ink on your shirt to billboarding to your pen ink. So pretty broad industry. It's about a $25 billion industry too. So it's pretty significant. You know, right now we are replacing just a very small amount of that. But, you know, I will say that we're working with some of the largest brands in the world, which has really blown my mind that we've been able to kind of get some of these really large apparel companies and consumer good companies to actually work with us and kind of introduce us to some of their printers or converters. And really, you know, not only think about doing small projects with us, but really thinking big, like in the next couple of years, we want to convert all of our black ink into this, this algae ink. So Right now, to answer your question, we're still down below 0.1% there of the overall market, but I do think that we've got a pathway to really kind of make an impact at, at scale with, with some of these groups we're working with.
0: Are there any big brands that are openly talking about this to you know engage their consumer spheres of, hey, we're making these um, products from algae, Inc.?
1: Not a surprise here, but, you know, Patagonia was one of the first early adopters of doing projects with us and demonstrating that they could introduce us to their printer, that the product worked, that there was a good story there and it was sustainable. So we'll be doing a lot of packaging with Patagonia this year. And they've kind of led the way in terms of kind of validating that the technology works. And, you know, now we've had several other large brands kind of follow it behind, which, they'll be doing launches. So I can't name them, unfortunately, but yeah, it's some of the biggest brands in the world. So really exciting. But also I think Patagonia, you know, what I learned through this process is that nobody really wants to be first because like when, when you go to an unknown technology or a, a small company, there are unknowns. There's, you know, printers haven't printed with this product before. So, you know, I think Patagonia just demonstrated a little bit of leadership to take a leap of faith and say, let's do this. And now when we talk to, you know, some of their Competitors or other CPG companies—they say, you know, if they can do it, then I guess we can do it. So, yeah, like, oh, um, you what we learned—exactly. Right? What we learned is that everybody wants to be second or third. <laughs> So, you know, even, you know, Patagonia is now a pretty big company, but even like, you know, five, 10 years ago, they were relatively small, I think, in terms of, you know, the Nikes and Adidas and Pumas of the world. Just by having their leadership and taking some of those leaps of faith, they are kind of pushing supply chains into these directions of sustainable materials from what we've learned.
0: Yeah. Well, I wonder too, because there has been almost a consumer movement, it seems, towards something that is more sustainable in its look and feel. So you're seeing more branding. That is craft based packaging without a lot of flood coating and simple black ink on it, so I wonder if that also is benefiting you
1: definitely. you know, I mean, I think the trends right now you know we one of our advisors worked at hewlett packard for for their for their career and They said that if, you know, if you were doing this 10, 15 years ago, you wouldn't have a chance in this ink market right now they're you know, they said, I think you guys can be a leader in this space in the coming years because of, you know, mostly the consumer trends, which are pushing the brands, which then push the, their partners and printers to do things differently. So I've been more excited than ever in the last 12 months in terms of how many brands are coming to us saying, we want to use this. We want to find a way to work with you. Um, So, yeah, it's been really exciting. And there's a lot of hope there, I think.
0: Yeah, I know. I think a few years ago when I first came across you, I think it was at an algae technology summit or something in Arizona, if I remember correctly. At any rate, at the time I was like, well, you know, you don't have color yet. So that would be a real problem with this project. And now I'm looking from a different lens and I'm like, you know, a single color, like just going black and the simplicity of it. I mean, that could be just fine. And, um, you know, you see all these direct to consumer brands doing single color monochrome outer packaging that they're shipping around and developing brands and identity around that. So I think there's a space for it now and Almost a new way because over the last five years, I think consumers have gone a little more simplistic in their desires too. At the same time, I think there are some beautiful pigments that can come out of what you're doing. So I look forward to staying tuned on that.
1: (laughs) The, The black was very fun and exciting originally. Now, as we're scaling that up, it's still fun and exciting, but it's black and black is black, which a lot of people use black, like you're right. But yeah, when we start getting into these color projects, it is just interesting from a curiosity standpoint and from just a a beauty standpoint, it's quite beautiful what nature can actually produce color-wise.
0: You know, if you have a vision for what this company can do over the course of the next few years to change how people are using ink in a market where potentially more is moving virtually, less is being printed at home on printers and things like that. I mean, where do you see your impact um, growing and going over the next few years?
1: Yeah, I think we're really interested in like apparel. So shirts, footwear, clothing, clothing. I think there's a lot there because I think that when people wear clothes, I think it says something about them typically, right? Like you you might wear a shirt for 10 years or five years, whatever whatever people's uh, preferences are. But, you know, what we found is that clothing is really interesting because it's like a talking point. Like I got some shoes from Adidas a few years ago that were from ocean plastic. And I just thought they were so cool. It was like, I would like, I'd like to talk about it. Cause I'm not, not like bragging about my shoes, but just being like, isn't this cool that this is happening right now? Like that there's people pulling out a waste material and putting it into, onto my feet. So, We like clothing. I think packaging is one of the growing markets within ink because there's just a lot more packaging being done as uh, around really around the world. The other interesting area that we've started to explore is like even like pen ink. You know, when we tell people that would you want to be like in your, you know, writing in your journal rather than laying down, you know, petroleum chunks of petroleum on your paper, you could lay down pieces of of algae in your material that could actually write your story. So uh, that seems to get people excited if they can actually use it. Those are kind of some of the markets that we're really interested in right now. One of the things that I've learned is just that it's like an educational thing, right? Like we talked to some of the big brands a couple of years ago and I'd say, what kind of ink do you use? And they're like, I have no idea. I've never thought about ink. I've never thought about pigments. And so when I looked at their packaging, let's just say a shoe company, I'm like, you know, your shoe box is literally cardboard. And ink—that's all it is. Cardboard, there's 100% recycled now. There's there's you know some cool products coming on the market. My whole point is, let's tell some stories. Let's take this other material like ink, which has really not been thought about. And you know, including you and I, even seven years ago, I didn't think about ink. You know, until I started an ink company. And use that for storytelling and marketing, because I I think that we can integrate these sustainable materials and and really kind of give these companies an edge to say, let's tell a story about where these molecules came from. They were grown with sunlight, not pulled out of the earth from from petroleum. So that's kind of the direction we want to go.
0: That's cool. You know, I think I've also heard about, you mentioned the shoes made from reclaimed plastic from the ocean. I've seen a lot of apparel or even just uh, construction bricks made out of that Mm -hmm. style of material. I believe I'm also seeing even shoes made out of algae now. Yeah. So yeah,
1: there's, there's a company called Algex. The brand is bloom. They're out of Mississippi actually, but yeah, like they've gotten in with, they make an uh, kind of an algae based EVA foam and they've worked with Viviero, barefoot, Adidas, Newell, new balance. I mean, a lot of the big shoe companies now have an algae foam shoe. So I bought a pair of those shoes and you know, when I wear them, to me, it's kind of inspiring to say like, think about where this came from. Think about how this happened. Think about all the ideas that had to happen and things that had to happen to get this allergy into the shoe that I get to wear now. And so I think it's a it's a cool example of innovation and also really promising from the standpoint that brands are actually adopting these technologies. You know, I don't think five years ago it was happening that much. I think there was a lot of resistance. And now, like you said, these brands are saying we got to do things that are sustainable to kind of appeal to our, our consumer base.
0: Well, and that is a regenerative brand. That is a brand that can last with time. You're not going to run out of petroleum. I mean, well, you're not going to run out of algae the same way you would run out of petroleum. What I also liked in hearing your story and reading a little on it too, was that you're using the byproduct of algae, the downstream, the waste algae. Can you talk for a moment about that and what that looks like?
1: There's companies really around the world, what we'll call algae farms. So about 12 inches of water. Um, these ponds where the algae moves around and, and the algae, like I said, multiply exponentially over time, days, uh, weeks. So some of the groups we're working with, they, they then harvest that algae like you'd harvest any other crop, although it's a, it's a little different because it's in water. They kind of extract their molecule of inches. So some of the groups we work with will pu- will pull out a blue molecule for like a natural food product. The remainder of that algae is considered, you know, a byproduct or, or a waste product material, and then we actually, you know, take that waste product or byproduct, depending on who the the source is, and we put it through our process. We're also working with a couple of groups who are using algae to remove nutrients from wastewater treatment. So tertiary wastewater treatment, they're using algae not for the sake of using algae for materials, but because algae is really good at using nutrients. So rather than having nitrogen or phosphate run off into the environment and cause algae blooms, they actually grow algae on site of the wastewater treatment center. Because they
0: eat the nitrogen. Exactly. They eat, they the eat up the nitrogen
1: phosphate and then right. they grow, but now they have all this algae because they've absorbed so much of this nutrient. So we've actually started to build some relationships with those groups, which we then can take that algae again, put it into our process. So now we've got this really fully circular economy where, you know, maybe one day you drive in a car from a big car company where, you know, we were actually working with someone that was growing algae off of waste from a car factory. We then took that algae, made carbon black, and then put it into the bumper of your car. So you can start to see how it, you know, there is this opportunity to have these really nice circular economy stories put together. It does take a lot of work, though, and partners.
0: (laughs) Well, and I think a lot of the technology you're talking about, um, a lot of the research, a lot of the funding behind algae growers came initially because there was so much funding from the government looking at petrochemical replacement, right? They were trying to get fuel out of algae. It's interesting because government funding for something to replace gasoline, which was a petrochemical... I guess that gas was going to be more expensive. Other technologies have kind of erupted around it, and it looks like perhaps uh, hydrogen fuel cell cars and electric cars may be the wave of the future as opposed to gasoline-dependent vehicles. So then all these researchers pivoted From like looking at this fuel application. So what else you can do with algae? And the applications are kind of crazy. Like I've seen 3D printing with algae in different colors where you can make models out of it that look just like plastic. Um, I think you mentioned packaging earlier. I was thinking about a standard supplement bottle and I don't think we're quite there yet, but it's on the horizon, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and I think part of our technology comes into play a little bit because when you extra- when you would try to make a fuel or you try to make a plastic from algae, you do have these bi- these byproduct streams, and this is where like where we come in, where we're like, you know, our colors project is pretty sexy in terms of using nature and colors. The bio based black is a little bit less sexy in the way we're taking these waste streams and putting it into you know these different processes that we've developed. So. You're exactly right. I think there's a ton of potential. And I think that there's been a lot of incremental breakthroughs with some, you know, much larger breakthroughs. The whole point of what we've been trying to do is having people grow more and more algae and then also be able to make it economical. So using every fraction of that algae, whether it's the blue molecule or us making a bio-based black, or maybe even making kind of an algae-based plastic for a cosmetics bottle in the future, I think it is actually starting to come together. Um, and, I, and I think fuels, you're right, was the starting point. It's just that fuels, is, it's such a large market and it's such a low margin industry with so much kind of volatility that fuels was probably not a great place to start. And that was always, you know, my mission is like, I want to make algae based products that people can experience that are tangible, that actually can make an impact because they are cost effective. So that's always been my mission. But I, I think you're right. I think that as time goes by, we'll start to see more and more products coming from algae.
0: Yeah, it's just it's so interesting to see as an entire marketplace. And, you know, that initial funding largely did come from governmental agencies and energy commissions and things like that. And now, um, you know, we're just continuing to discover what we can do with it. I love the innovation of also growing algae to deal with waste treatment plants. I mean, that's so awesome. Just lovely to see
1: you know, when we started this conversation, like my experience was working with these algae blooms down in the Gulf of Mexico. And so why not try to capture those nutrients at the location rather than let them get into our ecosystems, whether it's the Mississippi river or the Gulf. So it just makes total sense you know, again, you're spot on with these brands and consumers starting to kind of drive the conversation a little bit more rather than just nickels and dimes and, and things like that. So I'm more hopeful than ever. And I'm, I'm usually a skeptic. So that's yeah. good.
0: <laughs> well, it's good to wear that skeptical lens. Now, obviously, I mean, you started this company from kind of a wild idea and you've come a long way already. But I wonder if you had the ability to to go back to your younger
1: self and give yourself advice, what would it be? I think the one thing that I've been learning is there's this combination of hard work and luck, and so we've been lucky in a lot of ways, and I think we still need a lot of luck to to do what we want to do. But I think the one thing that I have been learning is just if we put in the work, good things will happen. And I think that when I was younger, I, I don't think I realized it that much, but I think I was always anxious. And I think now, like, there's always gonna be anxious moments when you're trying to build a a brand and a company, but just by like continuing down this methodical path of like working hard and just keep going good things will happen. And like every week here, you know, I always say there's, there's like three things that could have gone better. And there's three things that, you know, we're amazed that it happened. And so, you know, just, you know, keep going, keep your head down and don't get too lost in, you know, as you said the other day, like seeing that mountaintop, like I dream all the time, but I know that like, there's some way times I don't even know how to get there. I just know where I want to get to. And it's been amazing at on my journey, how many times there's just been these like fortuitous, like, I don't know how we're going to get there. And then like a month later, like a huge breakthrough happens, we're like, oh my gosh, we're there, you know? So yeah, I think for me, it's just been hard work and consistency of showing up over, over now, which is years, which is crazy. That's been, you know, that it seems like it hasn't been that long.
0: <laughs> Seven years. How many rounds of funding have you had?
1: We've raised some grant funding, about $1.5 million from grant funding, And then we just raised $2 million from private investors to kind of help scale up and really fulfill on some of these larger commercial orders that we're getting. So we bootstrapped it a lot. You know, like I said, we did a crowdfunding campaign with that growing ink, which was the original kind of got us, got us kind of off the ground a little bit. We went around and were scrappy winning like business pitch competitions for like $4,000 and putting it together. <laughs> so, yeah. um, we were, been we were, we've been pretty scrappy, which is good. And, and now I kind of have to get out of that mentality a little bit because, you know, now we're, our time is becoming more valuable than maybe it was seven years ago when we were grad students and just kind of figuring things out. So for me, that's been a learning thing of, Hey, like let's not spend time building this machine. Maybe we should just go out and buy one and save ourselves some time. So,
0: Yeah, yeah the pollution can be repurposed from something else. I mean, who knows? Maybe there's like some chocolate manufacturing machine you can use or
1: something. Yeah, we're still very creative, but even like one of my teammates the other day said, you know, I'll, I'll go drive this over to our customer. And I just said, you know, three years ago, I would have said, yes, let's do that. Now I'm like, let's get UPS picked this up because we got things we got to do. So yeah, just <laughs> yeah. just learning how to be you know more efficient. But you know, it's just phases of business and we're in a phase of business. And hopefully if, if we chatted in a year, we'll be in a, a whole different phase of business. So.
0: Yeah. <laughs> no, I think offline, one of the things you said is um, with your co-founder, you just wanted to be sure you were each learning something every day. So I wondered if you could talk about that for a moment, just like uh, the purpose when you started it and what keeps you going when it's tough.
1: You know, one of the things that really took the pressure off of us early on was we were kind of entering that startup world. And a lot of that startup world is, I'd say there's a lot of hype and a lot of excitement and dreams. And, you know, we everyone talks about how Apple was started or Microsoft. And so there's a lot of that in the startup world. A lot of my friends that, I, that I'm friends with in the startup world, it, you know, it's, it's not stories like Microsoft. It's like long years of grind. Not, not that they didn't grind, but, you know, we, that it's just slow growth and troubles all the time and, and, and things like that. So, you know, early on, rather than thinking about an, an exit or all these amazing things that could happen to us, we just said, you know, the number one priority at the business in our in our kind of collaboration together is to just learn something every day. And if we learn something every day, whether that's through failure or successes and over seven years, you'll you'll have a good knowledge set and i think that you know we've had that mentality ever since like the second week of starting the business and now you know yesterday i was in the production facility and we were going through some things and it's just like hey we're learning this is good this is good and i always tell my team like whenever there's a challenge or something didn't work i'm like this is amazing we get to figure out why this didn't work and you know in, in a couple of weeks it'll be working which we've had that track record, so we can feel confident saying that so that took a ton of pressure off and You know, we don't think about the exit. We don't think about, you know, how we are in 10 years. We think about, let's learn something today. Let's learn something next week and good things will happen.
0: Yeah. So one of the things I'm learning in graduate school as I go through entrepreneurship classes, for my MBA, right? So it's a grind. It can be a grind. I mean, one more quarter left. Kind of can't wait, right? <laughs> um, but one of the things that we talk about is the fact that businesses founded with co-founders tend to be more successful, or they tend to survive that business phase uh, before failure, where you know, company suddenly you know just gives up and goes home. I wondered if you could talk about how you essentially came to say we as two people are going to do this and then what that's looked like over the years. Cause I mean, you're seven years in now.
1: My co-founder and I, we went to grad school together. We met our first day of grad school at a chemistry class and I met him and I just said, I, I like this person. I think this person's smarter than me, which I always want to work with people who are smarter than me. <laughs> and <laughs> uh, and super motivated. And you know, we worked next to each other on our own research projects in grad school. And we were always just kind of like, we both wanted to start a company really to make an impact. It's never been about the money. It's always been about how do we compete in a petrochemical industry with bio-based materials. And so we used to walk by each other in the hallways Our goal was to come up with like one idea every single time we saw each other, and it would be the most off the wall ideas, like a water bottle that you can put coffee in the bottom, and you know all these. And we just said, you know, if you do that every day, like you're bound to come up with something at some point, no matter who you are or what you're doing, right? So, you know, after after years of really bad ideas, I thought of this idea in the greeting card aisle of like, hey, you know, we can make pigments from algae, we can do some, we can make ink, and we can do these things. And you know, he kind of was like, I don't, I don't quite, I'm not wrapping my head around this. I don't really know what you're talking about. And I was just excited because I'm like, we, you know, but this is something. I think there's something here. And so we joined an accelerator program at Colorado State University, that was like 101 entrepreneurship like what's a patent what's an LLC right and it's also daunting at first and you know what we've learned is like every week is a little bit uncomfortable but that means that we're learning something and we're pushing ourselves and so stuff that we thought was daunting seven years ago like how do you start an LLC to me now I'm like that's five minutes and like $15 in the state of Colorado you know <laughs> it's not that big a deal so I, I think that that's been kind of fun is kind of overcoming those mental hurdles of like oh that's so complex to do that it's like no you just got to do it and you know my co-founder and I were so aligned at like we Just do it. You know, we 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 strategically plan and then we just put our head down and we do it. And so that's kind of what got us going. And it's just been really fun because um looking back, yeah, it's just it's not daunting. There's daunting stuff right now, but the stuff we were doing was not you know, it's not daunting anymore to us. But until you do it, I don't know how you learn it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, it sounds like a very creative process. Um, I wonder what you think he'd say about you. You said he was. Smarter than me, right? Like I, I knew he was smarter than me. and I like to surround myself with people who are smarter than me. I I think that's a good way to live. It keeps you humble. But what do you think yeah. he'd say about you?
1: Uh, that's a good question. I should ask him after this. But you know, I, I think that, um, and I think one of my strengths is just like working with people. I think throughout the years I've had a lot of different jobs and a lot of different industries, and I think one of the things I really enjoy is being with people, different types of people. And, um, embracing that. So, I, and I think he would think that I'm, I'm probably, hopefully relatively easy to work with and flexible and creative and open-minded, um, I think are some of the strengths that, that I have with, with, with him. But, you know, I, you know, the other morning we were on the phone, I had to step out of my house because we have such a small house, but at 4 45 AM, we were on the phone just talking. And, you know, it's just one of those times where you're just going like, this isn't even like work. Like, this is a friend of mine who we're like doing this together. And it's just like challenge that we both want to succeed, you know? And so I think I don't think we would be where we are. And I, I don't even know if Living Inc. would be a company if it wasn't for having a co-founder that we could really kind of like, you know, when I'm high, he's low and just kind of balance each other out, you know? And so um, hopefully that's what he would say, say about me that I'm easy to work with.
0: Well, um, <laughs> I think you leave a really strong impression in a very good way. And that's just me to you. I mean, I met you a few years ago and never forgot. So oh, thank you, I mean, it's the, I, uh, <laughs> I think it's the creativity of what you're doing. And also your enthusiasm is it's contagious and that's going to help you be successful. The reality is it's just an incredible idea.
1: Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. You know, and you know, the other thing that's interesting, I hadn't really heard about co-founders companies being more successful, but you know, in some ways it makes sense because, Like we wouldn't go down this path if we didn't have all of these passions, whether it's sustainability, having an impact, starting a business, challenging ourselves. Like we have these common interests, but our first kind of seed funding that we ever got from a a local partner here in Colorado, we had known them for for the year. So they knew us. But what he said to me when he said yes to our investment was just like, I've never met anyone that's like so passionate about what they do. (laughs) (laughs) And so I think when you start something... You know, you either start it and you go, this isn't for me, or you kind of go, yeah, I'm going to do this. And then, you know, seven years later, you're like, I'm deep in this. Like, I am passionate about it. We are doing it. We're learning every day and we've got this big vision. So that kind of makes sense uh, that co-founders and founders have some success there.
0: Yeah, well, I've been thinking about it a lot. And I think one of the things that probably makes them more successful as kind of the secret sauce that lies under it all is something you alluded to um, when you were telling the story of the founding of Living Inc., you had to convince him that it was an idea worth spending his time and energy on. At first, he wasn't seeing it. And so now, essentially, you have a check and balance in place, someone who quite possibly has different strengths than your own, but also that can be a reflection and that can check your wild ideas for actual feasibility, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Both both technically, business-wise, and just kind of emotionally, right? We both have young kids. We both bought houses. You know, it's just like we're going through the same types of things. So yeah, I think that's been, you know, when you start your own business or organization, that's part of the fun part is you get to kind of pick who you work with. And, you know, I, ideally, we all want to work with people that we get along with and we work well with. So <laughs> you enjoy yeah, working so with you them. look forward to going to work. <laughs> and there's never a time that I've ever had a call with him or anything that I've dreaded or I've been like, oh, that was terrible. It's always been like, hey, here's my problem. And then he's like, hey, here's three solution ideas. And I'm like, thank you for those because I was not... Thinking (laughs) that way, you know?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's really great. Um, Well, I'm happy for you. I think that's tremendous. I would love for you to just have the floor for a minute. If there's anything you you would love to share, perhaps a question I didn't ask Mm -hmm. or something that you would just like to leave the audience with.
1: Yeah. You know, I mean, when you and I talking a little bit uh, before this, just what kind of was in my head was just, how do you even start. It was something I was thinking about. When you see these huge companies, like how do you even, or even small companies, like how do you, where do you start? And, I, you know, I think that once you kind of have that vision, just like, just got to start, you just got to do it, you know. And I, I, this is like very random and, you know, very, I, I'm not sure if it even relates, but I just was thinking about like when I was in graduate school. And I started to kind of have this, this realization that people are what make the world work. Like ideas are great, technology is great, patents are great, but like it comes down to people and decisions within brands and within printers and within, you know, all these different things. So it's always like my journey with Living Inks, it's always been about people, people, people. When I look at like what moved the needle of success, it's always about somebody. It's never about this major technical breakthrough. I mean, that helps obviously, but you know, there's a lot of great technologies or ideas out there that just never get there because whether it's the founders or the, you know, stakeholders don't, don't get there. So one is it all comes back to people. But the other thing is like, I remember when I was in my, the basement of plant sciences at Colorado state university. And I decided like, I'm going to make my LinkedIn account because like, I've started to realize people are kind of what make people are who hire you people are how you get jobs and things. Right. Yeah. And I remember like signing the LinkedIn and it was like, it was like, you know, it came up with like, here's some people you might know. And it was like my one roommate from college and like my dad or something. you know. And I was like, wow, like I'm in this basement in grad school. No one really cares about what I'm working on right now. I don't really have a network. And I just remember at that point, like I'm going to click yes to be, be, you know, whatever connect with my roommate and yes, connect with my dad. And I got two connections and I just said, you know, this is going to be a fun journey. Hopefully decades and decades of a career where I get to build a network and go into different industries. And so it, I just kind of looking at that mountain going, where do you start? And it's just, you got to start somewhere, you know, put the ego aside and say, I'm going to mm-hmm. do it, you know? And with living Inc, like I always kind of have to remind my co-founder, like when we hire a new person or, or we're working with someone who's maybe not as experienced us in this kind of startup world, like where we were when we started, like we gave terrible, Pitches when we first started, like at business pitches. You know, like, I mean, it was a good idea and it was cool, but like when I look back at the graphics or whatever, I'm like, that's terrible. But like, how are you ever good at something if you've never done it? So I think putting that ego aside, you know, is something that I told myself early on. It's like, you can't have an ego. We got to get feedback because feedback's the most valuable thing that we can get right now. And I don't care if that person thinks, I am terrible at what I do. Maybe I am and that's fine, but I'm going to get better every day. Like we you know talked about throughout this episode and seven years later, like I feel very comfortable going on stage or going and give a, you know, put together a presentation. So just starting somewhere and just knowing that, hey, you know, you got to just go, you just got to start it and, and every day just work on it. So that's my random thoughts of, <laughs> of my journey.
0: It's the grind. It's the grind.
1: And right. I, you know, th- this whole su- overnight success story and startups and billion dollar unicorns and stuff like that like, it's fun to read about. It's good. It's good reading. I don't know many people that said that was really easy and fun and overnight, like you know, everyone I talk to in my network, it's almost like therapy for each other to say, How's it going? Like, oh, here's my challenges. And like we, you know, no matter what industry you're in, if you're doing a young company, a lot of it's the same challenges trying to get customers to adapt to what you're doing, try to get through trials and things like that. So I, I'd like to talk to my my some of my friends in the startup world to kind of make sure that, you know, keep me balanced of so like everything I'm doing is normal. I'm not missing anything. It's yeah. just like you said, it's the grind. <laughs>
0: That's the grind. And it may not differ that much from industry to industry. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> I think also it's important to keep in mind that those billion-dollar stories, you know, they don't necessarily tell you about the time before they got that big funding round. They almost position the story in a very particular light in order for it to be crowd-consumptive, right? Like, oh, well, this is a great story and it's inspirational. The story behind that is often and usually... That there was a lot of grinding behind it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, 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 exactly. A lot of crazy stories to get get off the ground or keep going. So yeah, no, I I agree. And I think that I've kind of validated that with, like I said, with my own kind of network and stuff of just, it's just, it's just hard work. And I I think that everyone would agree on on that, no matter who the founder is.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, Scott, I just want to thank you so much for sharing your story with our community here. I really appreciate what you're doing to help reduce our reliance on petrochemicals and plastics. Hey, build a better world with something that's regenerative, renewable, and abundant like algae, right?
1: Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And um, thanks for doing what you're doing, which is sharing uh, great messages to, to the world. So thank you.
0: Yeah, stick with me for just a minute. Now, I'd like to invite you to act It doesn't have to be huge. It doesn't have to feel like a Herculean effort. You don't have to create the next ink replacement company, (laughs) but it could be as simple as sharing this podcast with people in your community or those that might be inspired by the story we're telling. So to find suggestions, you can always visit our action page as I I, uh, shared with you guys at the beginning of this call. You'll find causes and companies that we encourage you to support. And I invite you to join the conversation. Be a part of the community we're building. Tell us what you think, what ideas you have for how we can build a better world. You can find us on social spaces at caremorebebetter or just send us an email to hello at caremorebebetter. I want to hear from you. Now, if you like what we're doing, you can support the show just by sharing it with your friends. Like, subscribe comment, give us five stars. Thank you listeners now and always for being a part of this pod and community because together we really can do so much more. Thanks for listening to Care More, Be Better, a podcast for social good. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts and share with your friends to help us reach more people and spread more social good.